This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. be in Hebrews chapter 3 verses 17 or verse 7 through 19 this morning. God is finished with you. He's not working in your life. He's not going to do anything else. He's not going to change you. He's not going to transform you. He's not going to work in you anymore. That's at least how many of us think and live today. So I want to ask you a question. Can we flip that a little bit and ask it like this? Is God finished with you today? And if God's not finished with you today, then I want to challenge you to ask two questions. Okay, if we can answer that one, is God finished with you? No. Then ask these two. Do I sin and do I care that I sin? Do I sin... And do I care that I sin? Do earthly blessings overturn spiritual growth? Does freedom in life negate joy in life? Should we give up on our passions and love for success? And those answers for you might be like, well, no, that's crazy. Why why would you do that, Matt? But we as humans are so good at this. And such was the story of Israel as they came out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt working, and God freed them out of Egypt and walked them through on dry ground through a sea into the wilderness and ultimately towards the promised land. And yet in the wilderness, in frustration, they doubted God. You see, their freedom was rejected because of their situation. What they wanted was what delighted them and what they saw as their own needs and wants and preferences rather than what God had for them. And so in the wilderness, they became discontent and disgruntled with God and angry at God and doubted God. Ultimately, that unbelief leads to disobedience towards God and rejection of his resources and provisions, which winds up meaning that they don't enter into his rest, into his promise, because they rejected it. And so today, we too have to look at our own earthly blessings and think, does, does what God blesses us with reject the spiritual growth that God wants to do in us? Does freedom in life negate the joy in life? Do the, does the American dream override the biblical mandate and challenges that we receive? Does comfort, does the simplicity, does the, does the provisions of this world triumph over the freedom that we received in Christ Jesus to go and live in a different way. You see, if God is done with you, then do what you do. If God is done with you, then just go do whatever you want to do. But if God is not done with you, then we have to ask the question, then what is God doing in us? What is God working in us? Because he's not apathetic. God's not sitting around going, well, I'm not done with that person, but I just don't really care about them. Either God doesn't work in you or he's working in you. And so when we say, "Ah, there's nothing really wrong with me, I'm pretty good. Or like, uh, I'm not the problem, they are. 
you know, at work, man, my coworker, he's the issue. Or in marriage, like, she's the problem. You know, friendships, like, I just can't create friendships because everybody else is just terrible. And what we do is we, we turn everything around to everyone else and we forget that God is still working in us to shape us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. My main point for you this morning is this. If you want to experience rest, then you're going to have to watch out, encourage, and hold firm. Watch out, encourage, and hold firm. So let's read the passage together. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest." Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any of you, uh, any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily, while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter rest because of unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3, uh, on this uh, Pastor uh, R. Kent Hughes says this. He says, Those who died in the desert once walked through the sea. Those who died in the desert once walked through the sea. Think about what that looks like for your own life. You know, you've got these, these, these uh, uh, the slaves in Egypt who were delivered out of Egypt and who are walking through the sea on dry ground. And then all of a sudden they're in the wilderness and they're looking back and going, I don't think God can take care of me. Those who were slaves in Egypt walked on dry ground through the sea and now doubt God. How much so is it true that we who experience the wilderness, the, the sin and suffering and fear and failures of life, look back and go, I don't think God can help me. So those who died in the wilderness were literally the ones who were in Egypt and walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. we got to keep remembering that because this is the same, the same thing for our lives when we look at our own past slavery to sin and we go, God drew me out of that. And now I'm in the wilderness experiencing fear and failures and sin and suffering around me. And my own life is still wrestling with those things within it. And i got to trust that the same God who can lead me out of that can sustain me and grow through it. He's with you in the wilderness. And so I want to give you some exegetical points to this passage. As you, as you can kind of see here, you have, a, you have a story that is really at the beginning and the end. And then in between, there's three points. Those three points are watch out, encourage one another, and stand firm or hold firm. And around that's the story of Israel coming out of Egypt, like we've said. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to show you a story that applies to life. And really for them, show them an Old Testament story that applies to their current situation in the church. And today we are 
as we grow and as we are challenged in our church today, we have to look at this and say, okay, what, what is happening in this story that applies to us today? What biblical truth applies to us today? And so I want to give you a few of those points to, to note out. First, there's three questions here that can help us as we think through, am I, do I sin and uh, do I care that I sin? Here's three questions that will help you as you think through that. First, who heard his voice and rebelled? You see it in verse, uh, verse 16 here. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? Now, think about that for a second. Who heard and rebelled? Those who'd been saved. In John chapter 10, it tells us that, the, that we hear God's voice and that we can listen to God and know that it's him. And so we've heard what God has for us, and yet then we go and choose to rebel. That's, that's the people that, that, uh, that God has, in, in, the, in the second sense, has anger at. Look at verse uh, 17. It says, With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Who was God angry at? Those who had heard, but yet had not remained faithful. Even further, not only is that uh, they, they heard it and they rebelled and then God became angry at them, but then he denies them rest. It says in verse 18, and, whom did he, and to whom did he swear that though they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? Man, what a challenge for us today in the church because I need you to think through this for a second. God's speaking to Israelites who had been saved and delivered. These are his people. And he's telling them, you need to watch out, encourage one another, and hold firm. Today, God's speaking to Israel and his people. Today, God's speaking to his church, faithful ones throughout the nations who gather together and proclaim that we believe in Jesus Christ. That's who he's speaking to in these moments with three challenges. Watch out, encourage, and hold firm. He's saying, hey guys, they heard me. I saved them. They walked on dry ground. I provided manna for them and water for them in the desert. I was with them, and yet they still rebelled. So brothers and sisters, lest we not think that we are so strong and so good and so great that we don't need God. What happens oftentimes in our lives is this, is when we're in sin and suffering and we recognize that we're in sin and suffering, we need God's strength. When we think we're strong enough, we believe that God is causing us suffering. Here's why. When you think you're great enough and good enough, you think you've done enough, and when you think you've got everything under control, then when God throws in something that changes your plans, when he calls you to something that's different than what you wanted to do, when he wants to take something away from you that's causing pain in someone else or pain in you, and he's calling out sin in your life, all of a sudden God is the enemy. But God, I want this. But God, this feels good. This tastes good. This looks good. This smells like this. This has got to be good. God, it... It looks like in the world says it's good. Like, this has got to be good. And so now God looks like he's the one that causes suffering. But this passage teaches us something here. Here's what it teaches you. Satan's just around the corner with deception on his lips, 
making you think that God's the cause of the suffering so that he can still kill and destroy all the life that God promised for you. He wants you to think that you're strong so that God looks like he's causing you to suffer rather than showing your weakness so that we rely on God's strength. That's what happened to the Israelites. In verses 7 through 11, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, now walk through these three points that it has for us today. It says in verse 12, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The way, the way I'd say this to an American church today, to, to English-speaking individuals, to us, with our culture today, is this, see doubt. See doubt rising up in your heart. We need to be able to see when there's evil and there's uh, unfaithfulness and all these different things. But Satan is so good at being deceptive that what he does is he goes, he plants doubt in your heart. A little bit of doubt, a little bit of unbelieving, a little bit of doubt, a little bit of unbelieving. And then all of a sudden you get to a place where there's evil in your heart and you're like, how did I get here? Because there's little seeds of doubt, little seeds of unbelieving all along the way. And then all of a sudden you get to that point where it's in verse 12. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that you won't, that, that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And you're like, how did I get here? Because back up to verse 7, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Your hearts were hardened day after day after day when you rejected God's resources and provisions day after day, rejecting what he said is good for you and choosing what you think is good for you. Over time, you go, hey, I know it's good for me and God doesn't. Hey, I'm strong and he's my suffering. So be careful and see doubt in your life. The way the passage says it, watch out for unbelief. And I think it's important that, that we note down sometimes we, we need others. So the verse 13 says, but encourage each other daily because we need one another. And it doesn't just say encourage. It says encourage each other. Again, note down who's it talking to? The church. It's talking to brothers and sisters. Encourage each other. And then it says daily. And you might be in here today like, I don't know if I can text daily. I don't know if I can call daily. I don't know if I can meet daily. I don't know if I can do daily, Matt. That seems like a lot. You're talking about for like 100 people? You're talking about for this whole church? How are we all going to text each other every single day? You know what I'm saying? Like that's impossible. Okay, Jesus, the God of the universe, King of our life, who can do all things, walk on water, calm the storm, create everything in existence, speak it into motion, speak breath into you, like life came through the breath that he spoke into you, chose to disciple 12. Like that should be max, right? That should be our limit. If the king of the universe can only do, not only, chose to, you know, careful there. My, whew, words matter. <laughs> if he can whew, choose to do 12, and, and really three, Peter, James, John, then what should we do? Man, encourage each other daily. Maybe you can't encourage a hundred, but you might can encourage one. Just text somebody every day and just say, man, hey, I just want you to know, guess what? I'm with you in Egypt. When you feel like you're enslaved to sin and you can't get out, I'm going to walk with you. 
when you're backed up against the sea like the Israelites were, and Moses was the only one looking out at the sea going, I know you're going to do something, God. And he says, lift up your staff. He lifts up his staff, the sea parts, and they walk along it. When you're backed up against the sea, you tell your friend, hey, I'm going to be with you. When you're walking through the sea, I'm with you. Like, wow, God can work in your life. Yeah, he can. Let's worship. When you're in the wilderness and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to have food or water and God provides it. You're like, hey, I just want you to know God's provided for me food and water over and over again. He's going to provide for you, too. When you're entering into the promised land, you see that hope, man, that milk and honey for them. They're like, oh, that looks good. That's what I want. Rest and provisions. God's resources. As, as we said it previously, God's protection, God's provisions, and God's power in your life to overcome sin and temptation in your life. When you see those things and you're telling somebody around you, you're texting them and going, hey, I know God has a plan for you. You can do this. Keep going. Don't give up in the wilderness. It says, encourage each other daily. But then it says, while it is still called today. Now, that, what that means is we have time now. We might not have time tomorrow. So if you have a brother or a sister or a child or a parent or somebody, a friend or a coworker that you're like, man, one day I just I want to help them one day. One day I, I might start investing in them one day. This passage says, while it is still called today, because you have the opportunity today. So today I challenge you, who are you going to invest in? Who are you going to encourage? Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy, but God gave us a church full of brothers and sisters to encourage one another. When brothers and sisters aren't encouraging one another, all we have is Satan around the corner deceiving one another. And it makes sense while the church is starting to parade around like the greatest preachers of Satan's victory. When our lives are starting to look like torment and chaos and not rest and peace, it's only giving Satan the victory because brothers and sisters are letting other brothers and sisters fall into their own hardness of heart and failure and not holding each other up in the middle of the wilderness, but rather letting people die in the midst of the wilderness. The same people that die in the wilderness are the same people who walked through the sea. So brothers and sisters, you've been walking through the sea. Don't think that you can't die in the wilderness. I think most often the problem is this, though. Most often what we do, see at the end of this verse, it says, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. And so I've been making the point, but I want to just show you even more clearly. It says, so that none of you, that is us, so that none of us in the church, believers, brothers and sisters in Christ who have walked through the dry ground, through the sea, those brothers and sisters, so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deception. What we like to do with these verses is we like to go, and y'all, this is hard. I'm not saying this is easy. Like, Paul, this is the stuff we got to wrestle with theologically. The problem is a lot of times what we do is we ask, hey, what is God going to do with my friend who once believed and now doesn't? who's fallen into sin and rebellion and is no longer pursuing after God. Like, what am I going to do with my sibling or my child who is rejecting Christ and is away from the church? And there is, that's an important question that demands a really important answer. What I'm trying to make the point of is this passage is not addressing that. And what we want to do is we want this passage to address that. We want this to address someone else. Why? Because then it's not addressing us then we don't have the challenge anymore. And what we can do is we can look at the world and go, oh, clearly this is talking about them. 
Look at that wicked culture and generation out there. Man, they need a change. I wish they would watch out for their lives. I wish they would hold firm. I wish they would be encouraged by something to change because that's ugly out there. What they do is, man, God must be really angry at them. God must really hate this wicked and perverse generation. God must really, really dislike them. Who was God angry at again? Those who walked on dry ground through the sea. Who is he talking to here? He says, none of you is hardened by sin's deception. The writer of Hebrews was writing to the church, writing to believers. So his challenge to them is, hey, you've tasted, you've heard, you know the gospel. Don't reject it. Don't be hardened in your hearts. Don't return back to the slavery that you once had before. Step into the promised land. Step into rest. And so, brothers and sisters, stop looking at the world and stop looking inside. Look at the church and ask yourselves, who can we inspire within here to live according to what God has for them? Because it's easy to say that God is angry at them, but it's hard for us to say that God is angry at us. It continues, look at verse 14. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. We've been become participants in Christ. Then these two words, hold firmly in reality, uh, used only a very few times in Scripture. Three times in Hebrews right here, it uses it, verse uh, 6 and 14 in chapter 3 and in chapter 10, uh, verse 23, where it tells us to hold on. But then you ask the question, what is it telling us to hold on to? which is also used rare. Hypostasis is very, used very, rare to, uh, very rarely throughout the New Testament. But when it is used, I want to show you what, it, what it's used about. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. So Hebrews chapter 11 says this, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Now look at chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Now hold on, connect those two verses together. Same word in, in Greek. The reality is the same word as the exact expression of his nature. So what is faith again? The reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And Jesus Christ is the physical presence, the embodiment of what is not seen. The Father who is in heaven is now seen in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He's the proof of what's not seen. And all of a sudden now it says, hold firm to what? The reality. What are we holding firm to? Jesus. And now we're not holding firm to our strength because remember, we have sin and suffering. So who are we holding firm to? Jesus, because of his strength. When we hold on to our strength, we find uh, Jesus as our sin and suffering. He's the evil and wicked one who wants to change our lives. Why would he want to change me? Let me be who I want to be. But this passage says not hold firm to your strength, not hold firm to your goodness, not hold firm to what you want to do in your life, your plan and vision for your life. It says hold firm to Jesus, the reality the exact expression of God, the physical embodiment of what is not seen, but what is known to be powerful in this world. That's Jesus. Hold firm to him. Galatians 5, chapter 1, uh, sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, 
for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm now then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. You have been freed from slavery into freedom. Uh, uh, Israel was taken from Egypt into the promised land, ultimately. We have been freed from sin and slavery into freedom with Christ and to know his will and do his will. And so if we've been freed, why would we want to be able to return back to that? And you hear me say that often, but probably not enough. And you'll hear me say that too, because we as people need to hear this continuously, that it's so easy for us to be hardened and to return back to what we once used to do, that we need to hear what how to move forward, because it says encourage daily. So I want to encourage you daily. I want to encourage you over and over, and I hope you hear these passages throughout the week telling you to hold firm. Don't give up. When I think about this, I think about like a uh, have y'all ever like uh, babysat uh, your nephews or nieces? Anybody? All right. Because somebody's got to or this isn't going to make sense. Okay. If you have babysat your nie nieces or nephews, uh, what happens a lot of times, or your grandkids. All right, let's go grandkids too. Nieces and nephews. Uh, what happens is they come over and... Previously, let's, you can say a week ago, your own children were in the kitchen. They had a, a spoonful of peanut butter, and they dropped it on the ground, and it kind of got all over the ground. And you were like, hey, don't drop that, don't drop that peanut butter on the ground. Because now you got to clean it up. And you're like, you do that a hundred times. Why are you so clumsy? You know, it gets frustrated, all right? Right? We get frustrated when our kids do stuff over and over and over again. They were like, hey, just don't do that. Stop hitting your sister, you know? Hey, I, I liked that glass. Why'd you drop it on the ground and break it? You know, it's frustrating. And then your niece and nephew comes over and you're like, hey, here's a spoonful of peanut butter. Would you like to paint on the ground? You know what I'm saying? You're like, hey, throw that glass as far as you want to. See what it sounds like. Let's video. That'd be cool. And your niece and nephews get away with a lot of, like, everything. Why? Because your children hear your voice. They know what you've told them to do. You're working in their life to bring them towards goodness. You want them to do what is right. You see, as brothers and sisters, when we, hear, when we see these challenges, I mean, these are challenges for us. We can look at God and we can be like, man, you're just an angry God who doesn't love us. Or you can think about it like your own kids. You just want to teach them. You want to train them. You want to grow them. You want to invest in them. God is still working in you. He's not finished. He's not treating you like a niece or a nephew or like the world. He's just not going to let you do what you want to do. He's working in you. And if he's working in you, then what right now is he still working in in your life? Maybe even what have you not given over to him to work in your life? Because the Israelites' problem was that they doubted that God was still there. They doubted that God was still... You think about how, how do they send over 12 spies to a foreign land... 12. Remember that number. 12 spies into a foreign land to check out the land and say, hey, can we go defeat these guys? They come back and 10 of them say, no, there's no way we can defeat these guys. Two of them are like, yeah, I think we got this. Now I want you to think through those numbers real quick. 12 people go into a foreign land and they say, no, there's no way that God can do this. Go back to thousands upon thousands of the strongest, of the mightiest empire in their region, in Egypt, 
fighting against God and God defeats them. And then they doubt because 12 people, 10 of them said, no, God can't do this. In the church today, maybe we have 12. And maybe 10 are saying, no, there's no way God can do this. I need two. I just need two that will stand up and encourage the other 10 daily and say, hey, God's still working. God can still work in your life. He's not done with you. And maybe some of the few will lead the rest into the promised land. Maybe some of them will have the courage that Joshua needed to have to lead into the promised land. Maybe today you will stand up and say, God's not finished with me and I'm willing to fight back. I don't want to give up. I want to hold firm to this reality that Jesus' physical presence will change the world and that his spirit in me is going to change me first. I just want you to take one step in the direction of God change me in my life. To find rest from slavery, to find freedom from the effects of your sin, to find freedom from division in your family, to find the goodness from the depriving that Satan wants of life in your, in your family. You know, I find this passage to be uh, so powerful in how it ends. You see, it forms this story with questions and with challenges. And throughout the whole story, this is how I feel. I feel like uh, this is how I come away with, through verse 18. I'm like, man, we need to obey. We sure do struggle with sin. It's like, why, why did they do that? You look back at Israel and you're like, you're kind of frustrated at them. How, how could you do that if you could physically see God split the sea and you can walk right through it? Why did they do that? And you get to the end of it and, and then I'm like, okay, verse 19 says, so we see, and I'm like, no, I didn't see this. <laughs> Verses, you know, 7 through 18, I didn't see this. So we see that, that they were unable to enter the promised land, to enter into rest because of unbelief. And you're like, you go back through that and you're like, unbelief, it looks like they were in rebellion. The thing is, unbelief informs rebellion. Unbelief instigates disobedience. And so what the author of Hebrews is trying to show us is, if you want, if you want transformation in your life, trust in Jesus. There's plenty of self-help books out there. There's plenty of things you can do and implement in your life. I can, I can give you some, um, some uh, practical habits that you can implement in your life that will help you. There's some, some great stuff out there. But, but the people in Israel didn't fail because they struggled with some habits. The people in Israel failed because they didn't believe in God. And you may say, well, that seems very, like, impractical, Matt. What do you mean they didn't believe in God? Literally, when you're in a wilderness and you have nothing, no water and no food and no provisions, you have to believe in something. You have to trust in something. And for these Israelites, what they were supposed to trust in was God, that he would provide from heaven every single day, that he would provide from the earth what they needed every single day, that he would provide for them protection and provision when they went in, and power when they went into the promised land, that they could overtake this evil and wicked empire, and that they would set up a good and prospering empire that would show God's love and glory in the world. God set that up for them. 
And they didn't believe that God would create a place for them. They didn't believe that God would provide for them. But how similar are we today? How similar are we to that generation that struggled to believe that God would give us what we need to fight, to fight sin in our life, to fight sin in this world, to fight back in, against sin in our families, to be overcomers like we talked about last week. Y'all, if we're going to enter into rest, it's not going to come because we've rejected God's provisions and protection and power. If we're going to enter into rest, it's going to be because we've watched out for the evil one who wants to deceive us. That we've encouraged one another to fight and keep going and not give up. And that we hold firm to the presence of God in our life, transforming us. If we want to step into rest, we've got to rely on Jesus and on his church. You know, I used to think in my life... And for the church, I used to think that the mechanism, or, or sorry, the goal of Christianity and the goal of the church was discipleship. And I think, honestly, I think this came from a reaction to previous generations, but I don't want to read into that because I, I don't know intent. But I think this was a reaction to a lack of discipleship in the church, that I so strongly want discipleship that it became a goal. But here's the thing. The goal is not to make disciples. The goal is the glory of God and the goodness of God on earth. The mechanism that God brings glory and goodness is through discipleship. But our problem in the American church is that we want rest without the discipleship. Now think about this for a second. The problem in the, in, the, in the church, let's go global. The problem in the church is that we want rest without discipleship. And so in my generation, I think I have fought so hard for discipleship in the church that we've made it the goal rather than the strategy. And I want to just remind us and myself today that some of us are working and not resting and by work, I mean like working for righteousness, like trying to do good. You're like, man, I, I just want to be a better person. I, I just need to change. I just, I need, I wish I could obey these things better. Maybe you're a teenager, like I, I can't obey my parents. Maybe you're an adult and you're like, I need to obey the law. Maybe, maybe you're like, man, I wish I could uh, just avoid some of these sin and temptations in my life. I just need to be better. And some of you are working and not resting. Others are, are, are discipling and not resting. You're going, man, I'm in the church. I'm, I've got like three Sunday schools I lead and like 14 ministries I serve in. And like I'm here every single day. I'm, I'm on all these different teams. I'm serving in all these different ways and not resting. And you know what we look like? We look like the Pharisees and Sadducees. We look like people who are trying to do what is right without being with the God who can help us. We look like we're trying to do the mission without being with the God who gave us the mission. What if God was using you to lead others into his presence today? What would it look like for them? Next week, we're going to talk all about biblical rest. But this week, I just want to challenge you to think through this. What would it look like for you today to step into biblical rest? What would it look like for you to challenge others, brothers and sisters in this room, to step into biblical rest 
to enjoy God's presence, His protection, His power and provisions. Today, your enemy is not each other. Today, your enemy, Satan, wants you to think that your enemy is each other. We are brothers and sisters, bound together by faith, by the Holy Spirit's work in our life to encourage one another. So today I ask you, will you encourage one another? Will you find a group of people that you can just encourage to grow? You see, here's, here's, the, here's where I'll, I want to challenge you with the gospel response. What if God is using discipleship to lead his people from the wilderness into the promised land? Now hold on just a second. Who are you discipling? Man. If God is using watch out, encourage, and hold firm, if he's using this process in the church to encourage one another, brothers and sisters, to step into the promised land and not die in the wilderness, if he's using each other to step into that, who are you encouraging today? Who are you walking through the wilderness with? Y'all, rest is not laziness. Rest is peace in the chaos. It's freedom from our own evil. It's contentment in God's provisions. And as we look at this next week, I just want you to see this for a moment. Rest in what you find in biblical rest and in promised land type rest. Rest is the goal, not the work. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't work to provide for your family. Genesis tells us this clearly. What I mean is, did God not save Israel from slavery into freedom? And yet they wanted to return back to slavery? You should have left us in Egypt and let us do our thing there. We could have worked under their slavery and died there. We're just going to die on the wilderness now. They wanted to return. Did God not save you out of slavery to sin and into freedom in his life? Like, does God not save you out of that? Why would we want to turn back to that? And so we look around us and we go, okay, what is the, what is the goal? What am I doing? Where, where am I going? How am I supposed to be living? All of those questions can culminate in this. God has rest for you. Promised rest. When Jesus comes to the, to the uh, is, I think I mentioned this last week, and I want to just mention this again, through, actually throughout this sermon series. When Jesus talks to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he continually tells them, look, they're not Sabbathing because they're resting already. They don't need to fast because I'm here. Why does he say all that? Because the reality of what they believed in, the reality of what they hoped in was there. For us today, what we can look at is we can go, okay, Jesus was saying that to say... There's rest in Jesus. His presence is good for you. So are you enjoying that today? Are you delighting in that today? As the band comes, I want to give you three gospel responses. First, would you reject the hardness of deceptive sin, deceptive sin in your life? Reject the hardness of deceptive sin and turn to Jesus. 
And what I mean is there are things that Satan has in your life right now causing doubt, unbelief in your life that he wants you to think God will not provide. God is not powerful. God is not protecting me. God's not here. That's why it says hold firm to the reality. Satan wants you to think that God's not here. What is Satan doing? What is the evil one doing in your life right now to make you think that you're the strong one and God's against you? What is he doing to make you think that you don't have sin and God's done working? What is he doing in your life to make you think that you have sin and God won't help you? Satan is trying to harden and deceive you. You know how we know this? It's fascinating. The author's word usage in Hebrews chapter 3, he uses harden twice because he's telling the church, remember, the same church, the same Israel that saw Pharaoh hardened is the same Israel that was hardened. And today we can look back and go, okay, if Pharaoh was hardened and Israel was hardened, don't we think that it's easy for our hearts to be hardened? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm good. I don't need help. That's hardened. Satan's deceived. Second, would you ask someone to walk through the wilderness with you? If you're in that place and you're like, man, I feel like I'm in the wilderness. My heart's being hardened. I need some help. Would you ask someone to walk through the wilderness with you? And maybe somebody here today is like, look, Matt, I'm not discipling anybody from the wilderness into eternal life. And I'm not encouraging anybody. Maybe you need to just need to go to somebody and say, hey, look, I want to walk with you through the wilderness. This is someone who can help you see blind spots, someone who can help you overcome existing struggles, someone who can help you through your suffering, sin suffering, encouraging you through it. Maybe today you feel like you're stepping from wilderness into the promised land. You just need somebody to show you what good life looks like. Like, what does it look like to live life according to God's goodness? To enjoy his presence, to delight in his provisions, to live a life of grace that understands God's fruit and his blessings and his giftings in your life, and to feel that renewal in your life. I want that for you. We're going to talk about that more next week, but that's what I want for you. And I want you to understand that. So would you ask someone or would you be that person for someone that helps them to understand the life that God has them? Not just the death that exists, but the life that could come. And maybe today you're like, man, I just need one thing, Matt. Just give me one thing. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look on Right Now Media and go through Ruthless Elimination in a Hurry or get on YouTube and watch The Power to Change. If you're not doing tech right now, I commend you. Go read either one of those books, Power to Change by Craig Groeschel or The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, either John Mark Comer. Either one, I've challenged you to do it before. I just I want you to go through this. Why? Because it will challenge you towards Shabbat to Sabbath, to rest. So this morning, remember, if you want to enter into rest, watch out, encourage, and hold firm. Because Satan wants to still kill and destroy. 
And if we're going to fight back, it's going to be because we hold firm to the reality that Jesus is for us and he's still working in us. Don't give up. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. We trust you. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross and raised from the dead. And in that brought salvation for us, that it will transform our lives. And so, God, with that trust and that belief that the gospel is powerful to change, I pray that you would change in this room right now hearts and minds and actions, that you would transform us into what you have for us. But I pray, Father, you would tear down any hardness of our hearts that you would show us how you provide for us and protect us. You would show us your presence new today that we might hold firm. I pray, God, that you would raise up encouragers in this room, not discouragers, not disgruntled people, not frustrated people, but would you, Father, raise up encouragers throughout this church to encourage brothers and sisters towards love and good deeds that you would encourage through them people to live for you. I pray, God, that you would help our goal to be your goodness on this earth, your glory on this earth. I pray, Father, that you would bring promised land rest into our lives this week. So, Father, move in only ways you can move. Do what only you can do. We need you. You are still working in us. We believe it. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.